Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Bridgetown Daily. My name is Chris Vienant. I am from Genesis Collective down here in Costa Mesa, California. And I'm privileged to stand in for John Mark, who is out doing some studying. Thank you so much, Bridgetown, for who you are as a community, the role and assignment that you've accepted to be a prophetic community in the areas of the spiritual practices that has inspired churches around the world. Pretty much everywhere I go, I hear gratitude, thanks coming from pastors, leaders, uh, people who are living out these practices on a daily basis. And you have been that incubating space for the truth to be lived out. Well done and thank you. I came to a living faith when I was 18 years old, many, many, many years ago. And uh, it was pretty soon that I stumbled onto this Davidic psalm that has been a source of incredible inspiration to me, especially in times of vulnerability, in times of uncertainty, in times of uh, anxiety that can so easily grip the soul and, and hold it in a wrench grip. But David, who knew so much of the human wrestle with life and faith, is able to give language and vocabulary to the things that you and I wrestle with, especially in these days. David Gibbon, a friend here in Southern California, said that we're all facing three things, which is that we are uh, uncertain, we are uncontrollable, and we are unknowing of the time in which we live and what the outworking is going to be. And all of that produces, as we all know, an incredible amount of anxiety. Well, David gives us a little window of how he handled it. In Psalm 103, he launches out and he says, Praise the Lord, O my soul. Now, at first reading, we kind of glibly rush our way through that as if there's no hidden story behind it. Now, forgive my imagination, but this is what I imagine. David is facing the complexities of life. He's a king. He's a husband. He's got children. He's got friends. He's got enemies. And all of them together produce this volume of emotion that can at times be overwhelming. I suspect the day he wrote this, he looked at his soul and he said, soul, praise the Lord. And the soul says to him, oh, oh no, I'm not going to. I feel full of anxiety. I feel overwhelmed. I feel fear. I feel all sorts of other emotions. And so he speaks a little firmer to his soul a second time, and he says, now, soul, I need you to praise the Lord. It's almost like a parent saying to a child, now, listen, kiddo, I need you to eat your vegetables. This is absolutely essential for you. If you don't get this right, you will not grow up healthy. Or a drill sergeant speaking to a raw recruit and saying, now, I need you to listen to this. This will save you when the bullets are flying and combat is hot. Praise the Lord, O my soul. And I wonder if there wasn't a pregnant moment as David, speaking to himself, wonders if his inner soul, all his inmost being, will respond to the moment and lift his voice in joyous, wonderful praise. And, and, and I'm sure if David is any like the rest of us, the first few bars of the praise would have been a little croaky, would have been a little vulnerable, would have been a little insecure. Oh, I don't know if my voice sounds like this is super embarrassing. What if my neighbor hears me or my roommate? But David digs deep, and now he gives his soul some vocabulary to praise. He's almost saying, come on, soul, this is how you can praise the Lord. Isn't this 
the most beautiful thing you can offer back to him. And he launches out. He says, now praise the Lord and forget not all his benefits. He starts big. That word benefit is a, is a beautiful word in the original that speaks of kind of blessings and, and kindness and goodness. And in that moment where things may appear a little bleak and black and gray and discouraging and overwhelming, he is saying, I need you to remember how good God is. I need you to remember how kind God is. As little kids, we used to sing a song, count your blessings, name them one by one. And it's almost as if David is returning to his inner child here. And he's saying, I need you to enumerate. I need you to make a list. I need you to write down, journal the things that God is praiseworthy of. What are the kindnesses, goodnesses, blessings, benefits that God has given to us? And immediately, David says, and forget not all his benefits and forgives all our sins. That was massive to me as a college student. Unfortunately, I carried the weight of things I wished I'd never done, things that would easily buckle me over. In fact, I read a psychologist who said if I could find a solution or an answer to guilt, I would be a very wealthy man. And as I read that, I wanted to shout from the rooftops, we have it, we have it. There is a solution to guilt and shame, and that is the beauty and the wonder of God's forgiveness. He forgives all of our sins. In fact, later in the passage, in verse 10, he says, He, God, does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to His to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His love for those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. Now, you may be sitting there alone, you may be quite isolated, away from family and friends and the familiar, and the enemy sits on our shoulders waiting for that opportune moment and whispers repeatedly the sins of your youth, the things you've done, maybe as recently as today or yesterday or the day before, and he starts whispering like a, a loud megaphone the things that you have done, discrediting you and disqualifying you from the affection and the benefits that God wants to give you. And David says, no, no, no. And I want you to imagine for a moment your favorite vista, that mountaintop moment or place where you stand and you breathe in space and you breathe in beauty and color and texture. And I want you to open your arms up to the left and to the right. And God says, this is the way I treat your sins. I separate them from you as far as the east is from the west. You go to the east, and I'll take your sins to the west. They cannot and will not meet. In fact, Isaiah says he chooses to remember our sins no more. Ladies and gentlemen, that is an exquisite God who is most generous in every single way, and it starts with the forgiveness of all of our sins. What a wonderful place to start our daily, and a wonderful place to actually remember the things that God has forgiven us for and has chosen to forget. And so when there's a revisiting of that space in our minds, you know, these times of um, the pandemic has raised our fear and our anxiety. And as that has been raised, sadly, our morality seems to fall. I hear of so many people who are trying to find um, some substance in this time of, of, of uncertainty and have stumbled into um, morally unpleasant places. But David covers that, and he says, let God restore to you the beauty and the purity and the wonder of sins forgiven, 
Of course, that doesn't empower us just to keep on sinning. We know that grace is there, Titus says, to teach us to say no to ungodliness. But this psalm, this is the point where David says, now come on, soul, praise him. Just think of all the sins and how they have been removed from you. Then he carries on and he says, and heals all of your diseases. Remember the great series you did together, God Has a Name. And here is David reminding himself that God is compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in love. And one need to think only for a moment of the woman who had the issue of blood. Meryl taught on that so beautifully in our community last Sunday. And all the wrestles and struggles she had to go through in order to find her space and place to reach and to touch the garment of Jesus. That's what happens when we are compelled by the fact that he heals. Does he heal every sickness and every disease all the time? Of course he doesn't. We will all pass away and we'll go and dwell with him eternally. But does he heal some people in the mystery and wonder of healing? Of course he does. And it's a great space, even in our fragility, to be reminded, verse 14 says, for he knows how we are formed and he remembers we are dust. God knows our humanity and he touches us at our point of greatest fragility, these broken jars of clay. And then it says, He redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion and satisfies your desires with good things as your youth is renewed like the eagles. This is father language. This is the father reaching out and touching his children, as he says in verse 13, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. We I'm not alone, my dear friends. We keep an incredible company. Who? It says here of the angels, verse 20. It speaks of the heavenly hosts. It speaks of the world everywhere. This is not a time where our isolation implies loneliness, disconnectedness, and somewhat feeling like no one even knows we're around. This is the beauty and wonder of us worshiping and adding our voice to the great choral harmony of the angelic worship, of the hosts worshiping, of our friends and family worshiping, maybe in different spaces and places, but around the same body of truth. This is a beautiful psalm, and may I implore you to meditate on it. Take a quiet moment and read it and read it and then read it with your imagination, then read it prophetically, and you will be astounded at how the Spirit can speak to you. Go in His grace, go in His blessing, go in His peace. This God, who is kind and good. Amen. Amen.